0: Hello everyone, you are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host Austin and And
1: Mayu. What's going on everybody?
0: Apologies for my audio because I forgot my mic. Or No, I didn't forget my mic. I actually got a new laptop,
1: guys. It's about time. It's about time. Believe it or
0: not, yeah, my old (laughs) laptop was so unproductive, shit kept on crashing. So I thought at this point, like my time should be worth it. What'd you
1: buy? What laptop did you buy?
0: I bought, I don't know what this is. You go to Gigi and buy
1: another second hand one?
0: No, 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 no! <laughs> Not again! I gave that advice earlier, guys. I take it back. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I still believe in it, but I, at this point, I was like, man, like I just need to be more productive. So I got a new laptop. This thing doesn't. This thing doesn't fucking have a USB plug-in. Did you get a, a Mac? It? No, I didn't get a Mac. Uh, It's it's a very thin laptop and you know how they don't have USB plugs, So I got to get some converter shit. And it's, uh, anyways, this is a long explanation of why my audio is not good. So I apologize. Anyways, what have you been up to during the week, my youth?
1: I have no idea, man. It's been one of those weeks where it's just like, just trying to stay on top of things. But there, you know, there's been a a few issues on projects that are ongoing. We've got a lot of vacancies together, you and I Austin that like, we just need to get rented out. It's interesting in the winter market. Like it's always harder to find good quality tenants that want to move in because like even you or I, like I'd be pretty lazy about moving in when it's like negative, like 10 outside. Right. And, and most of the, the moving activity happens in the summer. So you kind of deal with those vacancies and, and, you know, you just have to budget an extra month of vacancy for that. Looking at New Brunswick a little bit more aggressively and yeah, yeah, two of my flip properties are listed on the market. I, I had bully offers on both. It was just a little bit shy of what I really wanted. So I ended up turning them down. And time will tell if I regret it or not. We will see.
2: <laughs> oh, we'll see.
0: Yep. Yep. Tune in for the next week's episode. Is Mayu's flip gonna sell? <laughs> <laughs> on with you, man? Yeah, man. Like for, for me, kind of the same. It's just staying on top of things. Um, one thing that I've been doing is, is I'm trying to promote bird dogging. So if anyone is interested in being a bird dog, hit me up on Austin at Ontario property Deals.ca. That's my shameless plug, even though I'm not sponsoring the podcast. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> yeah, so, so we're trying to recruit bird dogs now. So I'm creating a course material on it, on what is bird dogging, how to be a successful bird dog, so on and so forth. Why don't you I'm give us really, a high
1: level? Why don't you give us a high level?
0: Yeah. High level is, is investors essentially go out and, and try to get leads. Uh, they don't need to necessarily negotiate the leads or anything like that. And it's up off market properties. And then they feed it to either an investor or a wholesaler and they get a fee in return for that, right? So they don't need to do the negotiation. They don't need to lock in under contact, contract. They don't need to follow up. They don't need to do anything, right? In terms of all of the process after generating the lead. And then they get a fee if the wholesaler or investor closes on the property and is able to scoop it up at a decent price. So, trying to work on that. And the reason being is because as a wholesaler, what I've realized is the bigger and bigger you grow, the more you spend on dollars in terms of marketing, but you don't spend your time and energy as much anymore. So, you don't do the door knocking. You don't do the let's go through Kijiji, look at everything. You don't do the free things that take a lot of time that are effective as well, right? You just opt out to pay. Couple thousand for mailers, couple thousand for SEOs, th- those of that avenue. So we're continuing to do that on the marketing side for wholesaling, but we also need time and energy. So thought it'd be a good good way to get newer investors in on the wholesaling side as well uh, as bird dogs. That's what I've been up to. On top of that, I finally closed on my mom's property that we're selling on Friday. So the fund should be coming in soon for my mom. So she's going to be a happy camper. And lastly, we actually refinanced one of our properties, mind you. So we got that fund sitting on the bank, which is good because I think both of us are in a liquidity crisis right now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the crunch comes every, every couple of months. Uh, We were talking about this, about how we're both like, or not both. I'm terrible at just keeping money in the bank. Like it's got to go to some project at some point in some way. So that's awesome. So who do we have on today, Austin?
0: Yeah. So today we have on Michael Lee. You guys are in for a treat. So Michael Lee, he actually began real estate investing not too long ago, summer of 2018, give or take around the same time I started investing as well, Um, but he's done farly way more than I did. He's actually done nearly 100. Yes, that's right. 100 off-market property acquisitions in only two years and he focuses on flipping and wholesaling Michael uses a 100% virtual business model super impressive and has flipped properties all across Ontario while being based out of Toronto so you're going to hear a lot of how he manages his business how he's able to get leads and there's just a ton of information jam-packed in this episode make sure not to miss this one out Hey everyone. We are joined with our very special guest, Michael, Michael Lee or Mike Lee. How's, how's it going, Mike?
2: I'm doing great. And you can call me all the above. Michael, <laughs> <Mike>. <laughs> Any of those names works. Awesome.
1: awesome. Awesome. Mike. so for anyone that doesn't know you, Mike, why don't you just give everyone a, a background on yourself? Cause you are probably one of the most low key people that I've met for the amount of the stuff you do
2: scene, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I'd like to fly <laughs> under the radar. So A little bit about myself. I got into real estate roughly about two and a half years ago. It was the summer of 2018, and I would previously was actually working in the solar industry. I had a small business, and it's kind of interesting that you know it really ties in with what's happening right now with COVID. How there's a lot of lockdowns. The business I was working in had a lot of government regulations, and basically all the sales were government regulated. So the government would let in a certain amount of sales and then they would pull back and they would lock everything down. So in my solar industry, I'd been through three lockdowns and I decided I I wanna get out of it. And I wanna find something that cannot necessarily be stopped by the government. I ended up getting into real estate after going to a meetup group. And I was very lucky that there were some major real estate investors at this one meetup. There was Luke Boyer in, there was Michael Chow and there was another investor, Brooke Shang. They were all sitting there and there's only like 15 people in the room. So <laughs> I, had a, I had about 30 minutes to connect with, you know, with everyone. And I really decided I wanted to jump right into to real estate investing.
0: That's awesome. And where are you right now in your journey? Just a quick update for those who don't know.
2: <sighs> where I am right now. So two and a half years later, I've done about 90 deals. Some yeah. of them have been on my own. <laughs> Some of them have been on my own. A lot of them have been with, with a partner. I partnered with various people in different ways. Mainly I've done fix and flips, but I've done about 15 wholesales as well. And I'm just starting to get into buy and holds now.
0: Awesome. So let's let's turn the time machine back and, and go back in time when you were getting started investing. So how did you break into the world of real estate? How did you get into your first flip or was that a wholesale? Like tell me all about your first deal and, and everything that led up to it.
2: Sure. It's a, it's a fun deal. It's probably not easily replicatable. But (laughs) So when I went to that meetup group, I was so sure at that moment that I wanted to get into real estate. And I ended up speaking at length with Luke Boyron's acquisition manager, uh, Parker Mott a few days after that, that meetup, he told me a little bit about what, how you get a deal under contract. It's gotta be significantly under market value. You got to negotiate with the seller. Here's an Oreo form 100, go to town. And that's, that's basically how that started <laughs> from there. I needed to find leads. So I cold called everyone on Kijiji, every single for sale by owner. <laughs> and three weeks later I found a house. So I was, I was actually clicking refresh on Kijiji on the web page, and a new ad popped up. So I had only been, it had only been there for about 10 seconds. And it was for a dilapidated house in Westport, Ontario, which is how long
0: have you been doing that for? Was that like your first day or that was like a couple days in?
2: This was three weeks after I I started making those calls. Okay. Okay.
0: So you were grinding.
2: I was going crazy. I don't even know what I, I, man, the first few calls I was making, I was asking homeowners about their house. And one of the homeowners said, you don't know much about houses, do you? (laughs) <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> that was like the biggest eagle hit you could get. <laughs> uh, man. See, I can't even like pretend like I was a big shot investor. Like they just knew I wasn't that experienced. So the this house though it was it was in need of some serious repairs. It, it had been abandoned for twenty years. The owner inherited it from his neighbor. So his his neighbor actually had moved to Hamilton. He'd been taking care of them because they were very old for a long time, and then. When they passed away, he inherited the house from them.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: It's interesting. Yeah, I yeah. guess that's what happens in those small towns. Eh? Neighbors are all friends. And if you don't yeah. have
1: like a next of, next of kin or like, who knows what his situation is. The neighbor but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, continue. <laughs> yeah. So,
2: <laughs> so weird. Basically, he said, I got a job contract. I'm actually moving out of the province in a week uh, or two. I think he said well, a week, two weeks, whatever. It was like very short time span. And he's like, I need to sell this quick. And I said, well, look. How about I just offer you like 50 grand right now for this house? And he took it for 55.
0: Okay, where did you come up with this number?
2: I had no idea what to do. Oh. I just, I just, I'm just throwing numbers out there at this point in time,
0: uh-huh. Uh-huh.
2: you know, cause I, I really didn't know how to evaluate properties. I, I just figured if it's 50 grand, it's cheap enough.
1: You can't go wrong. Right? Yeah. Fair. yeah. <laughs> Especially the in building, years. the building material, probably just 50 grand. You take that house apart, sell it in the salvage yard and you'd be good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, it was also on a double lot. So I figured, yeah, I'm good. Ooh. This deal turned out to be a virtual, almost a hundred percent virtual deal. The only thing that was not virtual about it was when I got it, I had to get the key to the end buyer. The end buyer was actually Luke Boyron. So I only had about 15 buyers on my buyers list at this time. <laughs> so to pick up the key, I had to meet the seller out in a farm in the outskirts of Hamilton And then I had to meet Parker halfway in between Westport and Hamilton and get him the key.
0: And and were you working full time at this at this point, or were you just 100% in real estate? Because that's a lot
1: going on. I
2: had nothing to do. I was literally out of the solar industry, and then straight. Oh, you were in like
1: you were in like one of those lockdown periods that you were talking about.
2: Yeah, I I just, you know, I got that lockdown started and I was just like, I'm out of this.
1: Oh, you could. Okay. So you just,
0: uh, you just jumped right into it. I just shut down that
2: business completely. Yeah,
0: And and from that deal, how good of a deal was it? I guess you would, in retrospect, what do you think it was worth? So you bought it at 50.
2: Oh man. Okay. Luke, I wholesaled it to Luke for four, four and a half grand, I think. Okay. Not very big wholesale fee. No, but it was a Um, lot at
0: the time to you, obviously, right? You're like, wow, four and a half grand.
2: It was concept proven. I was happy. Uh-huh. He closed on it in I think two weeks, and then he sold it immediately as a wholesale for eighty or five or ninety grand. Oh wow! Okay, oh. so there's an, some
0: meat on the bone.
2: Listen to this. So he sold it to another investor who <laughs> called me a year later to try and whole t- uh, whole, try to sell it to me privately <laughs> for one fifty.
0: That's hilarious.
2: Yeah, It all yeah. goes in a full circle. <laughs> it went full circle. Yeah. It was yeah. crazy. Was, yeah. it, was
0: there any work done to that property since, or is it the same condition?
2: It was in the same condition. Ah, uh, that's, that's hilarious. What it, it appreciated. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, I don't even know what that house was even worth even in today's standards, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was probably a pretty good deal. Yeah. I'd yeah. imagine
1: so. So from that first one to now, what is that two and a half years, you've done a hundred deals or almost a hundred deals or something like that. About, about 90. Yeah. 90 okay fair so that's like what like 30 ish deals a year roughly yeah and so are you doing these all in like are you focused in certain areas or like how do you is it all of Ontario like what's your what's your horizon and like what does that look like so I would say that I specialize
2: in the areas that are like within like between one hour driving distance from Toronto up to three hours okay Okay, I'm not necessarily in Toronto directly, but I've, I've done, I've done a few deals in Toronto as well.
0: Okay. So you're, you're all over the place right now you're virtually wholesaling. What, what is that? How do you go about it? And, and you're virtually flipping as well. So what are those two things? Actually, yeah, yeah. that's something that we should break
2: down for our audience. Okay. So doing deals virtually just really entails that I'm getting deals under contract. If I'm wholesaling, I'm getting deals under contract without actually going to the house. And a lot of times, I might even wholesale them without even going to the house. Ooh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to flipping, it also entails, you know, just flipping the house, buying on it, closing on it, renovating it, reselling it without going to the house. Not during the whole process. Maybe I'll go to the house, but I've done a lot of a lot of deals. The majority of them have been virtual. No, no visits at all.
1: So if you're not going to the house, do you have a team of contractors that goes for you for the flipping side? And like one thing that we didn't actually talk about was how you got started in flipping because the first deal you wholesaled and then I guess after that you started just deciding you might as well run them yourself or like what was that like?
2: Yeah so my first six or seven deals were all wholesales. Starting out I actually feel like the marketplace was completely different. People they weren't as as warmed up to wholesaling in Ontario yet Maybe it wasn't as well known or, or maybe I just didn't have a big enough buyers list, but my first six or seven deals that I actually wholesaled, I probably got about 15 or 20 deals under
1: contract. Oh, so you let things like things when things fell off.
2: Yeah. I was making mistakes. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have enough buyers. There's so many things that could be happening, but I, you know, long story short, I just wasn't as experienced as I I am now. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but I was on a rampage. Like I was so, you know, so certain that I had to make this work, right? So I was, I was in it to win it. I, I, was, I was not going to let deals falling through stop me. So how I got involved in flipping. So I'd done about six or seven deals. And then I decided I wanted to get into flipping. I was looking into financing options. And it was around that time that one of the deals I actually wholesaled, the buyer came back to me and he said, how much deals have you done so far? And I said, you know, like six, seven. He goes, how many do you want to do for next year? And I was like, well, you know, I'm thinking like maybe in the 20s something like that. And he goes, how about we just work together and go for like 50. And that, that was someone that I ended up partnering with. His name's uh, Amar Beg. So we ended up partnering. He used to be a real estate agent. He was an agent for 13 years. And he actually specialized in renovation management where he mm-hmm. would help his clients do basic renovations to their property before listing it so that they can maximize mm-hmm. their list price. So he would go in, he would do things like countertops, lighting, flooring, things like that, painting. And he got a lot of listings that way. So
1: is he the one that's kind of stepping in, getting a little bit more involved on, on the flipping side? Because if you're not going to the houses, then is he kind of managing those renovations, I guess? Yes. Interesting. OK.
2: Yeah. So he, he helped me to have, I guess, the confidence to really jump into flipping. But I, already w- I was already planning on getting into it already. So it was just a perfect merger. So the first deal came along, you know, it was a house in Kingston. I had picked it up for 175, and it got appraised for 273 grand.
0: Holy shit! I've never heard anything not <laughs> really much higher by a bank than acquisition price. Okay.
2: It was a bungalow. It had a separate entrance, and it had a finished basement. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, we probably should have done a full renovation, but we we were doing this with like no money, like no money down. So we we ended up getting a loan to appraised value, and on closing. I ended up actually walking out of the closing with a i think it was like an eight or nine grand credit check damn so what we did <laughs> with, it was uh, and this this house had about 16 tons of garbage uh, of of just things inside the house
0: and it's still appraised for 373 yeah. with that in mind Two, 273 273 sorry yeah
2: yeah <laughs> so so what we did was we just actually took the the eight or nine grand, grand we cleared out the house and then we just sold it. It sold in a week.
0: That's that's phenomenal. Look, I have a million questions right now. I don't know about you, Mayu. <laughs> <laughs> so on one side, I'm gonna I I I want to dig into the virtual wholesaling and flipping a bit more. But on the other hand, I think that it would help the audience to know how are you getting these deals in the mm-hmm. first place. How are you negotiating? Like, what's your negotiation tactic? Because you're buying things literally six figures under market value, which when we look at most wholesaler lists now, it's usually around 30, 30 K under value, if that, but you're buying things six figures. So can we dig into your marketing strategy and your negotiation tactics? Sure. Getting the, where do you want, start with?
2: you want to start with negotiating or marketing? Let's marketing. start with marketing. Yeah. Marketing. Okay. So. When I started out wholesaling and I made that first deal of four and a half grand from there, what I did with that was like, I, right away, I, I set up a website. And I was lucky. I was fortunate enough that when I was doing that solar business, I was the marketing director at that company. So I had a bit of experience with things like Facebook advertising, you know, Google advertising, SEO. So I set up a website and I started running Google advertising right away. In terms of marketing, the way I generally think about it is everything works if you work it hard enough or if you go consistent enough on on anything, right? Mm-hmm. like you could go door knocking and you'll you'll get deals from that if you do enough doors but if you do 10 doors you'll get nothing right you know so what i did first was i set up one lead generation channel that was google ads and then i moved over to setting up facebook ads from there direct mails bandit signs so so
0: interesting you started with digital advertising most people don't do that yeah. until well after cuz digital maybe Maybe now the cost has definitely gone up quite significantly, but when you were doing it, I'm assuming it was much cheaper to do digital advertising.
2: Yeah. Wait till I, okay. So I, in 2019, I was getting deals for 500 bucks on Google. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> what has that
0: gone up to now?
2: It's like several hundred bucks per lead. It's, it's a lot more expensive now
0: okay okay gotcha but you are operating in the digital marketing space whereas most people don't do that we go the traditional route of flyers right so you're fighting in a marketplace that is i'm not going to say it's untapped but it's less competitive versus versus the traditional mailer route so that's pretty interesting to note what do you say that's where most of your deal sources come from or is it from from mailers and, and bandits and other traditional sources
2: I would say that 50% of my deals were online and about 50% are offline. Okay. So that's- yeah, it's probably, a, it's like even, even mix.
1: Gotcha. Not from I think a lot of people assume that most of the people that are going to sell privately or are going to sell like under market properties are like, I don't know, not stereotype, but like older and like, they just aren't really with the technology and that's why the mailers and the door knocking works. But it's good to hear that you're getting like pretty good success on the on the online model, like I'm not sure how, but it's working. So there's something there. (laughs) I mean, yeah, a lot of these, a lot of these sellers could be
2: older, but I mean, even one of my first deals, like the seller was like 24 to 25. Oh, wow. I think think that was like my third or fourth deal.
0: Yeah. And I guess with those sellers, the first thing they're going to do, if they see a mailer, they're going to be, what the hell is this? But they'll go online and search, I want to sell my house quickly. And then they'll they'll look through the pages that are on the Google page, right? And click on a site. So no, that, that that's good to know. And then let's, let's dig into the negotiation. So you get a lead, either they fill out a web submission and or they call you on a mailer or in a Kijiji ad, whatever. What happens there? They give you an initial call. Are you picking up? Do you have someone picking up for you?
2: Okay, I've tried all different kinds of methods and... You know, at, at this stage in the game, I actually have acquisition managers. I have two of them. Okay. So typically now I'm not the first guy on the phone, but you know, I'll get on the, I, I'm on the phone a lot with sellers even now, like uh, for, in different stages, various stages. So the the way that we do it is the initial call is, it's an intake call. We're going to first describe what we do. So, you know, hey, let's say you call in and you say, you know, it's Austin, you called in. I would say, you know, Hey, Austin, you know, it's Michael Lee from 416 Homebuyer. I just saw you call, call about 123 Main Street. Would it be a problem to talk right now?
0: No, no problem at all.
2: Okay, great. So what I'm looking to do today, I, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about what we do, our business model, because it's definitely not for everyone. And, you know, find out a little bit more about the house you're looking to sell. See if it would be a good fit for both of us.
0: That, that sounds good. Thank you
2: for the transparency. All right. So basically what I do there from, from that point on is I'm going to basically, I try to disqualify them if they're looking for full market value, mm. if, if they're anything that does not fit my business model, I'm, I'm going to basically try to consult them to go with the realtor. Smart, smart. So
0: you're being transparent, being honest with them. And sometimes they're like, Oh no, but we don't want to go with the realtor because X, Y, Z reason it's like, Oh, then you dig down into that motivation.
2: Correct. So I basically say, you know, Mr. Seller, like, First of all, our company, we buy properties all across Ontario. We specialize in buying properties in the as is, where is condition. I'm not a realtor, so you're not going to pay any realtor fees. And we can close flexibly based on whatever your needs are. Okay. But what I want you to know, Mr. Seller is that if you're, if you're looking for premium pricing, if you want to sell your house for the the most, you can, we're probably not going to be the best option for you. I would probably recommend that you, you know, get your house cleaned up, renovated staged and listed with the realtor. If you want that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I just wait and see what they say. And then if they say, no, 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 that's not what I want. I want to sell my house fast. That's, that's the golden ticket. Then that's
0: okay. I love that. I love that. Cause wow. that doesn't take up too much of your time, right? Just like <laughs> boom, you're just screening, 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 and you're waiting for that one that wants to sell privately. I can't believe we just
1: did like a mock, like mock negotiation on the phone right now. <laughs> <That's pretty funny. laughs> but So then what percentage of your leads do you think are, are actual deals? Like what, what percentage converts?
2: 5%. 5%.
1: Wow. Someone knows her numbers like really, really well there. (laughs) Yeah, 5% is actually pretty good. Cause if you're, if you've got 20 leads coming in and like, I don't know, I, I think that's a pretty good rate, but I don't know. Austin probably knows more about the wholesaling side. So I'm curious here, like, of the, of the 5% of all the deals that you've done, whether it's a flip or a wholesale, I, I, let's talk about the wholesaling side first. Like, you know, what can go wrong in a wholesale deal here? Like, is the biggest risk essentially that the end buyer does not close in the transaction? Is that ultimately always going to be the biggest risk? Wow, that's a great question. Mm. Or let's talk about myths about wholesaling or like, you know, like, just like everyone has this idea of wholesaling that it's like a zero risk game. It's just straight profit. It's just send out a couple mailers. You get like, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars in fees like here and there. Right. So like, I'm just curious what like the behind the scenes are in wholesaling.
0: I like that question, Mayu, because there's a million wholesalers nowadays and I'm sure yeah. Mike, Mike sees that as well. I, Everyone yeah, has right. a buyer list. Ain't nobody sending out deals though.
2: <laughs> you know what? I was actually just, you know, I, I knew you are going to ask me how I got started in wholesaling. So I wanted to bring up how I, I just like cold called people on Kijiji. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was just feeling nostalgic this morning before we got on the call. I'm like, you know what, let me just go on Kijiji and see, you know, what house is for sale by owner? And all I see are like we buy houses, we buy yeah. houses, we buy houses. Like it's like 20 ads of we buy houses and one house for sale. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. You Kijiji know why? Because that's changed. the
0: easiest thing to do. Anyone can do it. So there's no barrier to entry. Yeah, sure. and
1: I'd say like a few years ago, like it was much more frequent, I think, that you'd see like these like for sale by owner properties on Kijiji and stuff like that. And I think either they're going super fast, which is possible, or People just have changed where they're posting these. We buy houses. Like I don't know. I've heard a lot of things about Facebook. I don't know about you guys, but anyways, (laughs) going back to the question that we never answered. Tell me more. (laughs) I'm I'm curious what you're like. Yeah, just like the common like stereotypes about wholesaling the fees and like any and the risks associated with that. I'd be curious to hear your side. You've done a bunch of transactions and like probably have some good insights there.
2: For sure. Okay. I'll I'll kind of unpack that in two different ways. So as far as risks, I'll tell you a personal story, but I'll get to that in a minute. As far as myths, I think you already touched on it. So I think like the number one myth is that you can get in wholesaling with like zero money and pretty much zero skills. You know, I did have the story where I did my first deal with no money, but I had a lot of sales. I have like, you know, seven or eight years of sales and marketing skills behind me. So, you know, even cold calling people, I was able to finally, get that one person who's actually a motivated seller. And when I got that one motivated seller, I knew what to do with them. Everything else I didn't know what to do. And then from there, I started investing money right away. You know, Right. if, if you're getting into wholesaling, you think you can do this, with like zero money, zero skills. It's, it's
1: just not realistic at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: That's fair. Yeah. I, I I mean, sales skills, like it's, it's one of the most valuable skills. That I think that's like, pretty underrated in, in, in some aspects. Like a lot of people would just want to be like the corporate, like the engineers and the whatevers and the whatevers. But selling is like, I, I suck at selling. Like I'm just not a, <laughs> I just can't sell very well. So that's why I've never bothered trying to do wholesaling. But okay. So, so that's interesting. Then I'm like, so what would you say? What's the personal story there? Cause that sounds interesting.
2: <laughs> okay. This actually happened somewhat recently. So I think the, the risk in wholesaling, the biggest risk is that the buyer can't close. Yep. And I feel like if you're going to wholesale ethically, you have to be prepared to close on any deal that you enter in with the seller.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. Especially, you know, maybe you could do the contract. You can do like a, you know, conditional agreement, you know, conditional on financing, conditional on partner approval, inspection, whatever. But the second you firm up on that deal, you better be prepared to close. Yeah. So recently we actually had a deal that we, we wholesale, we got a decent amount of interest. We had multiple offers. I think we had like three or four offers on it. We had one person that offered us without even look, you know, walking through the properties, just like, you know, I'll go like uh, 10 20, 10, 15 grand over asking. Here's my offer. And it was the highest offer. And there were a couple of red flags along the way. Number one, they didn't want to do a, a huge deposit,
1: mm.
2: you know, but we, we went with them anyways, you know, three business days before closing. They came to us, it was already like 9 PM at night. They came to us and they said, Hey, you mentioned that there was other, other interested buyers. Can I get the number for them?
0: And, 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 then, uh, and then what, how do you, how do you respond to that? So we tried to, we tried it. to,
2: we tried to dig deeper. Right. And okay. we found out that they, they didn't have the money to close. They mm-hmm. said, Hey, can you push back the closing? I went back to the seller. Now, normally in a normal deal, I think if you're selling a house, if you go to the seller and you say, Hey, we just need like two days, three days. Can you push back closing? Normally I think they would be agreeable, but sometimes with motivated sellers, the situation's just like there's a there's a reason why they even called you in the first yep. place. Yeah. Right? Every day matters. Yeah. Every single day matters. So the seller was not okay to push back the closing. And so we went back and we asked them, you know, what's the situation? They were about 60 grand short. This the seller or the buyer? the buyer? The
1: buyer. yeah. Okay.
2: Okay. And we didn't have an, a, like a massive wholesale fee on this one either. So we like it wasn't really like we could cut down our fee and then that would solve the problem. Yeah. yeah. So we said, hey, look, why don't we front you some of the money? We'll JV with you on the deal. They said no. And what? then. It's <laughs> <laughs>
0: very interesting. I was just like, oh, he's just like,
2: okay. Okay. that's. And then basically I, I actually called our mortgage broker and I said, hey, can you get these guys financing in like one business day? Yeah. And he actually agreed to get it set up. Like uh, uh, he he said I can do it. So you know
0: why is because he knows your deals, man. He knows they're sweet, so <laughs> that's works true.
2: with you, right? <laughs> so we came back to them. He said, hey, you know, we can also help you get a loan if you need. And then they they still said no. So then we figured that uh, there's something else going on here. And then, long story short, we had to close on it, and we needed to come up with a pretty big down payment in like two businesses.
0: Very interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I guess the learning lesson from all of this is not always the highest fee matters. It's the most qualified buyer. It's the vetting process on the disposition side as well. Right.
2: That, that makes a huge difference. So that was, that was like a big learning experience for us. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Would you say that's your biggest real estate failure or is there, is there more to share? Cause you've accomplished so much, there's ups and downs, there are obstacles in the journey. It's nice to hear someone who has faced so much success. What adversity did they have to go through to get there?
2: That's definitely not my biggest failure. So in all the flips we've done, we've actually only lost money twice. And the second time we lost money, it was, it was not a very big amount. It was just mainly that the deal took way too long to happen. The biggest... uh
1: seller to buy or...
2: To renovate. Oh, okay, okay. So the biggest failure was that we bought a condo in downtown Toronto, and basically everything you can think of on a flip that could have gone wrong went wrong. Hold
0: on, when was this? During COVID? Before COVID?
2: It hit the market right when COVID started. Okay, it's not ideal. Right, yeah. not, <laughs> not ideal. Not ideal. Not good timing. Yeah, you know everyone was freaking out at that time, right? So, so just from the beginning of the deal to the end, so we bought it for seven seventy. I think it was 1200 square foot condo it was down at wow. near
0: mm-hmm.
2: bay and gerard
1: okay yeah it's 1200 wow okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is that like 500 a square foot or something like that i don't even know what it is but yeah
2: well uh, but you know we were thinking it's a good price too but you know in the end we lost some money so good. we sold it for 975 but see what happened was when we bought it we had a jv partner that helped us to finance the deal so, no- number one thing was that we used incorrect financing. Our first mortgage was 100% private, and we had a second mortgage, which was with the- someone that gave us money through a JV. Okay. So, we used the like, most expensive possible money we could get. So,
1: you w- hold up. <laughs> you so, you, so, someone gave you money through a JV as a mortgage, meaning they were entitled to a, a percentage of the profits, but they also got an interest on the funds that they gave you as a second.
2: No interest on the second margin, just just percentage profit. Okay, okay, okay. In hindsight, you know, it smelled bad and it was a little bit hoarder style condo. But in hindsight, I'm pretty sure we could have got a, a bank loan on that. Right. It would have saved us a lot of money. Yeah. Yep. So that was, that was one thing is, you know, the more expensive the property is, the more expensive it's going to be to def- finance privately. So just be very careful about that. Secondly, the renovation costs. We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. So the condo board actually had a lot of restrictions when it came to renovations. Oh. And for example, if we had a kitchen coming in, the kitchen company would say, Hey, you know, we can send the cabinets in for Monday. We'd uh, call the condo board so we could get the elevator. And they say, no, we can't give you the elevator for two weeks. <laughs> oh no. So it was like delay after delay, you know, they, they had certain requirements for our renovations for like things like subflooring, plumbing, like everything was just wrong. So Mm. we we were thinking that this rental is going to cost us like 40 grand and it ended up costing like, I think 75 grand.
0: Mm. Mm. Doubled pretty much.
2: Doubled pretty much. The market turn. I guess the reno took man, I think the rental took like six months and it should have taken like six weeks.
1: Wow.
0: Six months for 1200. Yeah. That's a long time. It eh? took forever.
2: And then like, so the property hit the market in February, 2020, it was sold conditional in March, 2020 conditional on status certificate. Uh And then that's exactly when COVID hit and the buyer backed out. Wow. And then the property sat on the market for several months.
1: And then the private money builds up and the interest. Oh, wow. Okay.
2: I, I think <laughs> just the maintenance fees alone, we were at like, by the end, we had like paid like 13 grand in maintenance. Like mm-hmm. it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So one month before closing, we had to refinance because our first mortgage lender also, it, the mortgage expired and then they didn't want to renew it. So we had to find a new financing.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm.
2: It was like everything that could have gone wrong. So in the, in the end, we basically, we lost 40 grand.
0: But how, how, like, there's not much you could have do to prevent it. I, I guess with the condo board, knowing that they were very strict, that's something that you can do due diligence on in the future. Because not many people go through significant rentals and condos, right? But yeah, so, like, the COVID but, thing. But was how just... would you
1: know? How, how would you know that the condo board is going to be so slow at the same time, right? Like,
0: yeah. Do you know if you can do that due diligence beforehand, Mike? Like, can you give them a, like, is there any way to find that out or you're not too sure?
1: Yeah, call them. Just I call say- them? What, what would you do? Call them and say, hey, are you guys slow? Like, what's the deal here? Like,
0: how what rentals <laughs> do you allow? Like, I guess, booking time for elevator, yeah. timelines. What stuff are your
2: policies plan? and procedures around renovations? Mm, okay, Fair. okay. And then the number one, like, the first thing that happened was just the financing. We we lost so much money that we could have probably saved by maybe just getting a B lender.
1: Yeah. It's, it's interesting what you say, though, because, like, I, I do see some condos, especially now these older condos that, like, they're, like, ripe for, like, if you could buy them now, like renovate them and like rent them out for like a year or two, you could get a significant lift in value, like overall when the market recovers. Right. But so that's interesting. And, and that's also, I think why they say flipping isn't, it's, it's not a great way to get started in real estate. Cause if you have one of these deals right from the get-go, like, like if, if this was me back like four years ago, when I was just getting started in real estate, it could have wiped me out. And I would be like, Fuck this, I'm out. Like I'm not doing real anymore. Like <laughs> just lost 40 grand. Shit's bullshit. I don't know what Austin does here. <laughs> but if you've already done like these, like these two losses that you've had over the last like two and a half years, they're after like 70 like profitable flips, right? So you kind of like cost of doing business. Okay, like shit's gonna happen, and you just kind of move on, right?
2: Right off. Just move exactly. For sure. It was like a drop in the bucket, but I'm gonna tell you like <sighs> Just the stress of having to go back to our JV partner and tell them mm. we're losing money—it was bad. I couldn't, sleep, I couldn't sleep. I, I just to tell someone I, I we're losing their money. I, I couldn't sleep for for. I lost sleep for like three weeks. Is this I a JV partner that's
1: partnered with you on other profitable flips, or was this the first one?
2: They've worked with us before on other things, so thank you know. Thankfully, uh, they've made some money with us before. Yeah, but it was you know. It was still a tough, a tough situation. And we were 50, 50 on them with them on this deal. And then we ended up uh, covering some of their losses as well. Just, you know, to keep show, you know, keep face. Like I, it was just too embarrassing. I can't let them lose that much money. Right. So I, I I couldn't let it happen.
0: Uh, Yeah. I would rather lose my money than a JV partners money because your brand is all you have really, right? Like if your reputation starts to tank. Then less JV partners in the future, less private finance, like you don't, you want to keep your brand as sparkly clean as possible. Brand equity is everything. So I guess we can move on. So you have a lot of ambitious goals or there were failures that you, you overcame 2021 things are a bit different now still with COVID going on. What are your goals for it? Has anything changed? Are you still looking to grow or what's the plan?
2: For sure. Okay. So over the course of doing all these flips, I started to realize that if, if I don't, do something else, I'm I'm gonna just keep doing a, a high income business, which just means that I have a very really high paying job. So I want to get into cash flow. And I'm gonna be starting with my first buy and hold in March. It's a house in Port Colburn. And it's it's a bungalow, it's got a separate entrance and
1: a full basement. So basically I'm gonna create an in-law suite and then a bird deal. Not to take away from Austin here, but the one thing we didn't talk about is, do you guys have, like, your own subcontracting teams in for these flips? Or, so like, how are you guys, because now you've got, like, a project in Port Colborne, you had a team that worked in downtown Toronto. You had, like, whatever, wherever, like, other projects all over Ontario, right? So, like, are you guys just shipping people around? Or, like, what are you doing? <laughs> so,
2: we have a few contractors that, I would call them our general contractors GCs. Yeah. We have a very good relationship with them, but they don't work for us. They have their own businesses. It's just that we, we probably give them about like 90
1: to 95% of their book of business. And so these guys are like kind of geographically dispersed within Ontario. Like you've got one guy for like East GTA one guy, I guess you're, everything you do is within a three hour radius. So that makes it a little bit easy. You probably need like max three GCs, one for the East, one for the West, one for the North and you're done. (laughs) That's basically what we have
2: going right now. Yeah.
1: But the, they they will travel much further
2: than a normal contractor would, and that's because we do a lot of volume with them. So, right. for example, one of them is based down in Milton, you know. But we had a few deals. Uh, we had two. I think we had two, two or three flips out in Sarnia, and they they actually went out to Sarnia for the several months that it took to do those deals as well.
1: Wow. Okay. Well, that that's pretty that's pretty crazy. That's ideally. A strategy that a lot of people want to have but I mean it, it helps that you have the volume to kind of ask them for these things right like if, if I was to go hey man so I had a flip going on in Belleville and I asked the guys if they would go to Cornwall and the guy's like I've got like two kids and like I, really can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like all right fine man that's fair that's fair <laughs> but yeah it, I mean it helps when you've got scale and like you can demand those kind of things right so that's cool man
0: for sure. Yeah, let's, let's get back to that, that question uh, about your goals, like buying and um, buying holes, flow. What was that change in mindset? You're, you're building a very successful high income business. Why transition into buy and hold now?
2: There is a reasoning behind all these things. And I, I always knew that I wanted to be involved in buying holds, but I, I think if you get involved in buying holds, when you have no scale, it will take significantly longer. So now that we are having about, you know, let's say roughly 30 to 40 deals a year, I can easily keep, let's say five to 10 of them. Hmm. Whereas if I only had, you know, the opportunity to get a few deals a year, then I don't have as much selection or choice. Now I can cherry pick whatever's best for me. Wow.
0: Not many people can cherry pick in this market. You know that? Like what you (laughs) said is goals. (laughs) You have 40 deals, like this is the ones I want.
1: That's crazy. Yeah. That's an interesting approach to it. I feel like it's probably opposite of how a lot of, I would assume how a lot of like flippers and investors start. So that is interesting. But
0: I guess you got to grow to that scale, which is what you've done, right? Like, I don't think Maya and I, we can't we can't do that. We can't have our choice of the deals at this point, right? Like it comes one at a time and then you choose kind of... you. S- can choose which one but you don't get 40 on your plate and you
1: know kind yeah of yeah and, and so I mean, now even even as I start to like look into flipping more I try to buy properties that I as a as a backup as a worst case like if I don't get the return that I want I can make it into a rental and the re- and the returns would be decent there right versus you're kind of looking at it as, okay can I flip this and then you're going the opposite way and you're saying okay like I can flip it it works as a flip oh no sorry you're, you're saying like I guess it's kind of the same approach. You're saying, can I flip it? And then also like, you know, instead of flipping it, do I just want to keep this and, and treat it as a burr, right?
0: Do you have a target number for the number of buy and holds you want this year?
2: I'd like to fall somewhere between five and 10.
0: Okay. Okay. And multifamily, single families or
2: what? What do you Okay. So this wasn't planned, but I was planning on doing single family, but uh, I actually just picked up a six unit building. Accidentally. What days <laughs> ago. <laughs> this wasn't planned, but it got a stellar deal. I don't know how great of a deal it is just yet because it's it's in between Aurelia and North Bay. It's like kind of in a weird place. Burks oh. Falls, Ontario. So I, I need some time to analyze that one a little bit more, do some due diligence. But it it for the price we got it at, it could be a pretty good deal.
0: And what's that price?
2: Uh six fifty okay. yeah. for for six units. Yeah. And then what do you, it's, what do you it's, think it'd be worth? So it's it's three two bedrooms. Okay. One, three bedroom and two, one bedrooms. Okay. So pretty big unit.
1: That's a good composition too.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if we go off cap rates, I think maybe it could be worth, you know, between 1.05 to 1.1 possibly by the end, (laughs) it's going to need some renovation. Like it it still needs renovation for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see.
0: Nice. Nice. Awesome. Mm -hmm. It's refreshing to hear you uh, jump into something new. There's always something new, even for an experienced investor. (laughs) I guess at this part of the show, we're going to go through our rapid fire questions. I think that's, I don't even know what the title of this section (laughs) is. Just ask three questions to every guest. That's the same. Maya, you start off, right? So Michael,
1: where do you you see yourself five years from now? I know we covered 2021, but if you were to look out five years into the future, is it flipping, wholesaling, just like joining a beach in Jamaica?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Probably be some beaches in the five to 10 years. But as far as, you know, real estate goals, continue doing the flipping wholesaling. Hopefully I can expand geographically as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then the main goal for five to 10 years is a hundred million dollar portfolio.
1: Very achievable real estate holding portfolio. Like, yes.
0: Which means that if it's a, if it's a hundred wow. million portfolio, I mean, yeah. Mike has bought it at around 60 million. <laughs> <laughs> Sixty million Probably, it means yeah. you're buying about
1: what, like 10 to 15 million a year of real estate. Uh, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, and then you get there. Wow. Amazing.
0: The, the second question is, if you won $10 million today, let's say you have seven days to spend it. You could use it some on investing, but not all of it. What would you do with it? Oh, man. Seven
1: days to spend it? You have seven days to spend it. Yeah. We gave, we gave Michael a heads up, but we forgot to mention the seven days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> that changes
2: everything. Okay. So I'd probably buy a piece of commercial land. Mm-hmm or a commercial property. I'd open a gym there. Nice. That's just wow. like my, my personal thing that i I'm, you know, it's my hobby and I would definitely deploy the rest of the money into real estate. <laughs> there you go.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: What was your original answer? Same answer. Over seven days. I'll just spend it in seven days. <laughs> yeah. I'll call every wholesaler for all their deals. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. Awesome. And if you'd have dinner with one person dead or alive, who would it be and why?
2: Okay. So I thought about this a little bit and you're going to ask this question and I can't even get to the, you know, I can't even get to the people that are already passed. Cause there's just, you know, it could be like, it could be like Socrates or something, right? Like who knows what it could be. Right. So I just want to stick with who's alive. And I think the most inspiring person to me is Arnold Schwarzenegger.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. The, the reason why is because, he's gotten to so many different fields and he's, he's reached the pinnacle of success in, in pretty much everything, everything. Like he's even done real estate. So he started out in business. He, he succeeded with that. He did real estate, bodybuilding. I mean, Everyone knows him because of, you know, pumping iron and all that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, acting and politics, like it, no matter what he does, he's successful. And mm-hmm. I'd love to, you know, know more. I would love to just pick someone's brain that, that can just, you know, succeed in everything. Yeah, yeah,
0: because I'm sure there's a lot of self... Maybe there wasn't self-doubt. There probably was, but he was able to overcome those things, right? So it's very interesting to hear, especially bodybuilders. They probably have like a, a different type of mindset, like grind, hustle, like they're, they're so used to that culture very interesting answer so that that pretty much concludes our, our our podcast mike thank you so much for jumping on definitely a fun episode i learned a lot my learned a lot i think there's a couple of things that my you can implement in his lip inside <laughs> a couple of things that i can implement on the wholesaling side so loved it thank you for being completely transparent if anyone wants to reach out to you if they even can because you're you're uh you're <laughs> where can they do so
2: okay Sorry, guys, can't give up my phone number because I'm too low key. (laughs) If you'd like to join our buyers list, 416 homebuyer.ca slash investors. If you want to connect with me personally, shoot me a DM on Instagram at official Michael Lee. And and are you
0: going to be going on social media more often or or are you still going to try to stay below the radar now?
1: I'm going to have to get
2: (laughs) on social media more often, I
1: think. (laughs) (laughs) you kind of cornered him there what's he supposed to say like no
2: (laughs) awesome guys
0: so all of the details to uh, mike's buyers list how you can reach out to mike that'll be in the description or show notes below and if you guys enjoyed this episode make sure to like rate it subscribe i don't know what you can do on podcasts, but do whatever everything you can to support this podcast (laughs) It helps bring out awesome guests like mike out here and until next time everyone invest smarter and live
2: better